whatever y'all did on the back-to-back in L.A., don't do it tonight. That team wasn't better than us. Be ready. It's easy. What you mean? Because I kind of had it going. Give me a chance to be great. I want to be great. Some people call those winning characteristics a group of hungry individuals. It ain't sweet. He can do everything. It's just nice. You trying to put the league on notice? because we got more to do so welcome to the wolves watch podcast i am dan radke joined as always by my co-host ricky jimbruno rick how are you i'm doing well man how, how's it going good <clears throat> we're recording this live on th- is it thursday it's wednesday it's wednesday evening. <laughs> it's wednesday yeah. <laughs> the week's going by a little slow no we thought we'd hop on uh we did the southeast uh, division during the first podcast that we recorded over the weekend. We're doing division by division, kind of over-unders and team recaps. And uh, we had a little time free, so we figured we would we would stay in the southern part of the country but move over to the Western Conference and cover the Southwest. And so I just wanted to go to you first and, and kind of just broad overview of this division, kind of overall thoughts uh, that you had when you were kind of going through it and setting some of these over-unders for these squads. Well, the teams at the top of the division are very fortunate that they're going to get to play San Antonio and Houston a lot. That, no that's shit. a big takeaway as we're looking at these rosters. Um, truly a division of haves and have-nots, and that that also depends on how you see New Orleans. I mean, I think that the consensus right now, and certainly this is the case if you just look at the Vegas over-unders, is that... Uh, Memphis being the second seed last season, Dallas advancing to the West Finals last year. Those are two of the elite teams in the West. New Orleans is more of an eye of the beholder. And the Spurs have joined the Rockets in the ranks of the tanking teams. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating division. Um, because when I, I, like you, when I went through it, it was like, man, these teams at the top are really going to feast on on the teams at the bottom. But it is interesting because I'm curious kind of where you went with some of these over-unders because I'll spoil it for people as we go through this, and this will be a theme throughout um, every division that we cover, is I'm such a strong believer in the depth of the league um, that I actually, you know, admittedly am probably a little low on some of these teams um, in terms of overall wins. And that can be the motivation of that individual team. It can be how, you know, individual player-centric that team is and what that can mean if you have any injury uh, to that player at all, and just you have to show up most nights in this league. Uh, this is a division where you're right. Like, if you show up to play San Antonio or Houston, it's not really going to be a competitive game most nights. Um, but most of the league is not San Antonio and Houston. Most of the league is competitive. And they will fight you for the game. And so you can't kind of sleepwalk your way to a bunch of easy wins in the regular season. So I'm kind of curious. I think you and I are going to be different in how we did a lot of these divisions. This one no, will be no different than those. Yeah, and I think if you to to your point about the quality of teams in the league, I think no matter how you slice it, you I think anybody would reasonably say that New Orleans is kind of right in the middle of the yes. NBA um, landscape, and this is a team that has Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, and C.J. McCollum. You know, and it, so it just goes to show you the barrier of and that team. You know, that team. It's clawed its way into a 1-8 matchup, albeit without Zion Williamson for the whole season, um, in a play-in game. And that's, so that really just goes to show you the barrier of entry is extremely high. And 
I don't think that's really any different this year. No, no, the barrier of entry is going to be very high. And, you know, part of my strategy going into this, and again, if you look back historically at the way the league shakes out, this is probably going to prove to be wrong. Um, I, I hope to do well in my over-under predictions, but my win total predictions are probably going to be a little light for some of these teams. But it's because when I was looking across the league and trying to, you know, scale wins back from certain teams to be able to add them to some teams that I think are going to be regular season juggernauts, it was just really hard to make that call because I just found so many teams that I actually believe are going to be competitive and win quite a few games. Um, yeah, and I think that the division we did last week, the Southeast, was a little easier just from a betting perspective. This one, there's really not, <laughs> there's really not any that I would run to a sports book and put a bunch of money down. These, the, the lines are set very well. And, um, each, each one of them, you're like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> no, Vegas did a nice job with the Southwest. They, they hit them just about right. Um, let's just roll right into it, Rick. Let's, let's not waste any more time. Let's start. We go alphabetical. So this is not top down. This is not bottom up. This is alphabetical. We're going to start with the Dallas Mavericks in the Southwest. Um, this is one of the teams that I was referencing when I said player centric, individual player centric <laughs> teams. Yeah. Um, I worry about because of course, if Luca plays 80 games, I have very little doubt that the Mavs are going to stack a ton of wins. If he yep. ends up playing 62 due to injury, I have a lot of doubts when he's out that they're going to string together, you know, unless the schedule is advantageous to them at that time, be able to string together a ton of wins. Um, so the over-under for this team, just to set the table here, the over-under is 48 and a half, which I think is about perfect. They were a 52 a really good last year. Yeah, they were a 52 win team last year. Uh, I would argue the conference as a whole got better. Um, and so essentially, you know, with Dallas, what do you see? I mean, this is a team, honestly, it's about what we saw last year outside of JaVale McGee and Christian Wood. Well, and Jalen Brunson, losing Jalen Brunson, obviously is a, oh is yeah, a yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. He's a big one, but this is, I think, I think you nailed it talking about games played for Luka. I do think that Luka probably ascended during the playoffs to at least have a claim to being the best player in the NBA. I think it's a, it's a race right now between him, Jokic, and Giannis for the best player in the NBA, which as an aside, with honestly with Joel Embiid nipping at their heels too, which is just a little aside, the fact that the three or four best players in the NBA are all international players. Um, mm -hmm. That speaks to the depth of the league also, and also something that's unprecedented in the history of the sport. And so, uh, but with Dallas, if you have the best player in the NBA or one of the best players in the NBA, you're going to win a lot of games. And they have a team around him that is all of the, they're all really high-end role players and there's a lot of them and they all do a specific task that complements Luca's game really well. And so I don't, I actually look at this team as they are improved from last year as a regular season team and they have, <clears throat> they have much less title equity than they had last year. I mean, they're just on the, they, I think everybody would be surprised if they were able to win a championship before they're able to find a second star to play next to Luka. So that's that's something that it's kind of similar to it's it's kind of similar to what we talked about with Miami last week, where we said this is a team that is you know built to win regular season games, but that doesn't answer the ultimate question for them. And 
I still, having said all of that, I would I would bank I would bank on Luca having a monster year. You, there's no point in speculating whether or not he'll be healthy. But I know we talked about this on the phone the other day, and Dan, maybe you can take the baton here. You were on the same page as me. Why do Why do we think Luca is primed to probably be the MVP favorite going into the season? Yeah, well, Dallas, again, was a 52-win team last year, and the biggest criticism of Luka Doncic is the shape he came into the season with. Uh, he was out of shape and had to work himself into being in elite shape as the season wore on. He has been playing uh, international ball this summer. Anybody who follows basketball understands that he's been playing in Europe uh, for Slovenia. He's been phenomenal. Uh, the highlights coming out of those games have been ridiculous, just like watching Luka in the NBA, but it'll mean that he's coming into training camp in much better basketball shape than historically has been the case. And so he should hit the ground running the way that Luca looked in January of last year. He'll look that way from October on, right. uh, which is going to give them a huge head start. Yeah, and you're talking about, if that's the case, you're talking about a 30-point triple-double machine. And, yes. um, yeah, I just... It, it's not a very fun team to talk about in terms of there's really not a lot of juice to squeeze here because there's just it, there's so many known commodities on their roster and it it really comes down to the Luca question. The other question is the biggest part of their success last season is they defended, which they did not do in the early Luca years under Rick Carlisle. So the question becomes like, is there going to be any regression? on that end of the court, because you have to imagine Luca surrounded by shooters. You're we're talking about a top 10 offense for sure. Um, and you know, they didn't, they brought in Christian Wood, who's not a stalwart defensively by any stretch of the imagination. No. No. Uh, Jeff McGee at this point of his career is, is honestly more of just like a vertical threat on offense, a lob catcher and a, but a guy that is not going to play more than probably 20 minutes a game. So they didn't really upgrade their defensive personnel there beyond just that they're going to play a lot of the same guys that they did last year. Is there anybody on the outside looking in on their rotation that you have any faith could kind of break in? Or do you imagine it being the same cast of characters, subtract Jalen Brunson, add McGee and Christian Wood? Well, here's what I would say. Tim Hardaway missed the bulk of last season, so he will be at some point during this season coming back. Um, obviously, not not a great defender, um, not horrific. I would argue that Christian Wood in his time in Houston was a horrific defender. Yeah, well, he's um, never Christian Wood. As far as we understand his basketball trajectory, he's never been on a an actual like real basketball team, like that's a winning correct. team. Yeah, so I want to give him a little bit of a, a little bit of rope here, but for sure. What I would say is I think it's going to look a lot the same. I think if they need, because again, this is what's what's interesting about their rotation is, you know, if you wanted to go defense first in a rotation because you you know at, you were at a point of the game where you needed to get stops or or you were in a you know a matchup where you felt it was best for you. I mean, you would go to guys like you know hypothetically Frankie Nicotine. You might go yep. to Dwight Powell, uh, Maxi Kleba. But again, I mean, this is why the Christian Wood acquisition was really interesting to me is unless he changes fundamentally what he is as a basketball player, which I hope going to a winning team will spark something in him. But if it doesn't, like, I honestly don't know how you can get away with playing Christian Wood more than probably 18 to 20 minutes a game. At, yeah, at he, feels, he feels like a bench guy for me, for sure. And I mean, 
I know that one of the the reasons they were able to sign JaVale McGee, all things equal, was that they promised him a starting spot. Now, that is like a, the Keith Bogan starting spot. He's not going to play 30 minutes a game at this point of his career. But you are looking at a starting lineup, almost assuredly, of Luka, Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, Reggie Bullock, Dorian Finney-Smith, and JaVale McGee. And you're going to see a heavy dose of Maxi Kleba playing this forward minutes. You have to imagine there's still going to be somewhat of a role for Dwight Powell. So you're right. I mean, you're the the role is not huge. I think you and know. That's I think without they, Davis Bertans being mentioned, it's without Davis Bertans being mentioned. I think 18 is probably a little low, but I I do think he should ready himself for maybe a 24 to 28 minute role as opposed to. You know, he really, this is one of the things that upset us when we watched Houston last year, is he really got all he could eat on that bad team. And it's just, and that's where the questions are, if if this guy is actually going to be capable of helping a real operation is, and this is this is something we're critical about with Houston across the board. It's like, you're they're playing a style that this isn't, you're not, this is not practice for being on a good team. You know, no. like... No one plays this way. No one's going to ever have Christian Wood on their team and just be like, yeah, face up and and take try to take guys off the dribble from the three-point line. But having said that, he has shot the ball really well the last couple of years. He should be a spacer. He should really, if, if you want to look at it, the glass half full, first of all, they didn't really trade much to, to get him. I absolutely, nothing. I absolutely would have made that trade if I was them. So there's that. And then the second part of it is, Perhaps he combines and is able, you're therefore able to wean these guys out of the rotation. The best offensive parts of Dwight Powell and um, Davis Bertans. And so may, perhaps you'd be able to trim your rotation up a little bit in that front. But to me, I still, I it's, as far as their pecking order goes in the front court, he's, he's third for sure, but behind uh, Dorian Finney-Smith and Maxi Kleba. Yeah, it's going to be wild. I think he's going to be given minutes, and rightfully so. I mean, he'll be given minutes from day one. By the end of the season, I'm very curious to see his role. Because if he can work himself into even a slightly below league average defender, just not a complete sieve that doesn't try, and he's still the Christian Wood of Houston where he has some good offensive game, then Christian Wood will be fine. If he doesn't shore up some of his defensive deficiencies, I would not be surprised if they would prefer the shooting of Davis Bertans, the defensive flexibility of Paul or Kleba, and just and just really not playing him much, honest to God. Uh, yeah. But it's a worthwhile shot, like you said. The price paid was so low, you take that shot every time. Especially, probably they knew at that point, they did that trade around draft time, that Jalen Brunson was not coming back. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. realistically, you do need another person density to to try to take guys off the dribble but I mean truth be told you look at their team and there's not a lot of dudes that can get you a bucket and they they are going to need that at points in the season especially if they sustained an injury to Luca I mean the nightmare scenario for them almost a truly untenable situation would be if Luca and Dinwiddie were out at the same time you know they'd be left with a situation where they have nobody to handle the ball they really really need to figure out a way to get an emergency third guard in there even if it's someone that's not going to play in regular rotation minutes like they just are not built at all right now to sustain injuries to those guys 
No, I completely agree. So it's so this for the over under again. It's forty eight and a half. It's a Luca bet if you're making it. What did you have the win total for the Mavs at? I am making the Luca bet because it's why. Well, you know, it's like what what fun is it to to project a guy's going to get injured? And to me, with what you said about Luca being in great shape from playing in FIBA, I and the way the way that other players talked about him in that playoff run and Golden State talked about him in that playoff run. I think he is he's he's known to his peers at this point as as being perhaps the best player, um, if not right up there. And I you just look at the guys they have around him, they're gonna be able to space. They have McGee as a vertical spacer, Powell as a vertical spacer, Christian Wood to some degree. They need to find something from either Frank Nilakina. It's probably not going to be him, but I know they. I heard Tim Van McMahon the other day say they really like Tyler Dorsey. Yeah, I don't know that they need a find is what they need. So it's it's got to be Frank Smokes, Dorsey. I don't think it's Josh Green, but he's he's one of the few young guys on their team, and they took a flyer on Jaden Hardy. Probably not going to be him. Probably too early. But having said all of that, I, I have them at 54 because I think with health from Luka, this is just going to be a team that's going to maul teams that are not prepared during the regular season. Yeah, I had them over at 52. Uh, I think 54 is reasonable. I think, you know, we mentioned not betting it. Uh, this is the one in this division that I, I would consider betting. I'm pretty, Me too. I'm pretty confident this one's going over. Um, I had them matching the win total of last year, but to be honest, if they do match the win total of last year, or they reach the win total that you just said, 54, that's pretty incredible. I mean, Jalen Brunson was definitively their second best player, and they didn't really replace him with anything. So if they do no. it, it would I mean, be on you the look, back of Luka who, being amazing. <laughs> who's their second best player at this point? I mean, it's really hard to, to say. It's going to depend on how people defend. Um, I think their second most important player is probably Spencer Dinwiddie, but that yeah. speaks to just the scarcity of that position on the roster. Um, I do. Do you have any faith in any of the back of the rotation guys? Like, do you think there's any juice to be squeezed from Josh Green? <laughs> I mostly um, just want to bring Josh Green up. No, sorry, dude, but just no offense, Josh Green. It's just I've never seen anyone le- less interested in a professional basketball game in having the ball in his hands. It, it honestly reminds me of when you and I or anyone is a little over their skis in a pickup game where yes. you're like, I'm just going to look eager, and if I get the ball, I'm going to just swing it right away. <laughs> and then I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to move a lot so it looks like I'm active. Yeah. He, he definitely looks active. Yeah, you know, the thing with Josh Green, man, is he is 21. So, I mean, I don't I don't want to say that there's no shot that the dude can develop, but I will say this. Like, he is in every way a shooting guard, and his shooting splits, I mean, he, he shoots sub-70% from the free throw line and sub-36% from three. Like, I, I, there's a – I mean, for him to even be a guy who can get, like, meaningful rotation minutes on a team like this that, that hopes to be a, a conference finalist, like, he's going to have to grow tremendously. Um, in so many areas of his game. So as as we sit today, no, I wouldn't bet that Josh Green is going to be a steady presence in the rotation this season. But at the same time, you and I both know you never throw dirt on a 21-year-old. No, you just for can't. sure not. For sure not. Although he definitely, once they got, once they were in the second round, he was probably the worst player playing 
regular minutes. Oh, no question about it. No question about it. He looked, I mean, if you thought it was bad during the regular season, during the playoffs, oh. every time he took the floor, it was five on four. And I mean, you could just feel it. Um, so no, yeah, I, I would say no. What do you, where are you at with Josh Green? Same type of thing? Like just Same type of thing. Yet. The yeah. yeah, the listeners are like, what are you guys doing? Why are we talking about Josh Green? And they're probably <laughs> right. Let's, uh, let's, uh, <laughs> Transition to the the Houston Rockets and Dan before my favorite punching bag. <laughs> yeah, before we get into specifics on them, I, I do want to talk about that the fact that they, in such a short period of time, have accumulated so many young players and so many darts that it actually makes us a pretty fraught situation. And you're, it's really hard to tell who's going to play. I'm going to start listing off names, and Dan, why don't you just do us a favor and count in your head how many this is. And this is this is what Steven Silas is going to have to deal with this year. Josh Christopher, Tari Eason, Usman Garuba, Eric Gordon, Jalen Green, K.J. Martin, Garrison Matthews, Deshaun Nix, David Nwaba, Kevin Porter Jr., Alperin Shingun, Jabari Smith, Jay Sean Tate, Ty Ty Washington. 14. That's 14 guys, you know, and Eric Gordon, obviously not a recent pick, not Garrison Matthews either, but the point is, is they, these guys all need to touch the floor at some point, especially the guys that they've drafted in the last two seasons. Well, and hold well, on. You didn't even mention <laughs> Boban or Willie Cauley-Stein, who are like actual NBA players. I know. I actually <laughs> left them out. I left Marquise Chris out. I left. Trey Burke, you know, Trey Burke is really the guy that needs to just go back to Dallas as that emergency guard. No shit. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, and this is a good contrast to the other team in their division that's tanking the Spurs because the Spurs are like one and a half seasons behind them in terms of just accumulating guys. This is going to be a test case of can you have too many guys? And, this is where the rubber meets the road on the idea that when you're rebuilding, you need to just bring in a bunch of dudes and see who's see what see what cream rises to the top. My hunch is that that is easier said than done and that you have a bunch of young dudes that are desperate to get their career on track and desperate to make a name for themselves and that is that's a situation that is could be in very rough on chemistry, especially when they have two, basically two guys on the roster that say are going to get entitlement minutes, and they're probably the best two players anyway. But that'd be Jabari Smith and uh, Jalen Green. Everybody else, and I think truthfully, like no matter how good these guys all think they are, I think in their heart of hearts they'd understand that, like, hey, Jabari and Jalen are just going to play a lot. Like we we get that. Everybody else on the roster, though, if you're Josh Christopher, for example, how, how do you even how do you even tell Josh Christopher that he's not going to play because Kevin Porter's ahead of him in the rotation, or how are you going to tell Tari Eason he's not going to play because Jay Sean Tate's ahead of him? So this is this is a it's a lot like we were talking about with Orlando last week. This is a this is what could from the outside look like a coach's dream, but it really, we're going to find out this season between those two teams, if that's actually in fact a nightmare having to deal with that many guys. No, it is a nightmare definitively. And I will say this, if you want to pull off what, and again, 
let me be clear for anybody that listens to this for the first time on this episode. The reason I say Houston is my punching bag, it's for this upcoming season. This team yeah. is going to be a joke to watch play basketball. However, there is a possibility that they squeak out three or four guys that are real real gems out of this group that you just mentioned. That is possible. But the reason I'm going to say it's a nightmare is this has got to be one of the most unfair situations I've seen a first-time coach be put into. Mm. Steven Silas shows up. The team blows up. He's put with last year's team, which was obviously it was a complete rebuild, total dog shit team, not built to win any NBA basketball games. Then he comes into this season. The only change is that they added a bunch more young guys that <laughs> and got rid of Christian Wood, their best yeah. player, probably. Yeah, so it's like it's so unfair to Steven Silas because I would say any team that wants to attempt this, and again, the Spurs, if they came up with their own version of this, OKC has kind of yep. had their own version. They have two better, two better organizations. Let's, way, let's, let's say that. Way better organizations with what seems to be, from the top-down coaching staff front office, a group that is in total synchronicity on what they want to do and how they want to do it. Houston feels like it is the most cobbled-together collection mm-hmm. of players, and they're throwing a first-time head coach into the shark tank and just being like, swim, man, figure it out. Houston is really fair. actually... this. They are the you know, the successors to the process truly, because this is the thing about the process Sixers is they actually did end up having a lot of good players that had good careers on their team, but they never happened with the Sixers because while they are able to accumulate all of that talent, they didn't foster an environment that made it so that those guys could actually be successful there. So you could very well see some of these guys on their team not make it with Houston, but still end up being the Jeremy Grants, the Covingtons, the TJ McConnells of this particular experiment. Um, But having said that, Dan, I mean, they do have a lot to play with. There's all sorts of different lineup configurations that you want. And this is the only pushback I'd have about the Steven Silas point is I think it's fair criticism, and we levied this on him last year, that they did not try enough combinations of players. I feel like they they started, um, and let me pull this up just so I have a better idea of this and, and I don't get this wrong, but I feel like their starting lineup was so consistent in a way that, yeah, okay, so Jay Sean Tate, Jalen Green, Christian Wood, Kevin Porter all started over 60 games and started all the games they were eligible to play in. And so, and they swapped out basically Eric Gordon and Garrison Matthews in that in that two three wing spot. When you have a team of this many guys, I just don't see how you don't mess around with that starting lineup. And I I think you absolutely have to start. And Jalen Green deserves it, but I think you absolutely need to start him and Jabari Smith. But short of those two guys, I really think that. The goal should be, especially because the goal is clearly not to win this season, is to see as many lineup combinations with as much minute data as possible to find out who could play together in this group. I couldn't agree more. And to be honest, this will be your right to levy that criticism against Steven Silas because Steven Silas is really... I don't want to say he's playing with house money because he will get fired. You know, if this doesn't for sure. Work, I mean, that's no, well, games. but that's just also how it goes. You yeah, know exactly. I mean? If you like, don't, if you don't win games, regardless of circumstance, you get fired after a while. That's just how it works. But what I will say is, you're right. 
they have accumulated so many versatile players and so many guys at different positions that there's really not any excuse. Like when I look at this team, there's a path where late in a game that you think you could win, you'd go veteran heavy with Trey Burke and Eric Gordon playing at the same time. There is a path where maybe you throw Ty Ty Washington. In. Like what I'm trying to say is <laughs> right. there, there's not a position outside of the two and the four with Jabari and Jalen Green that you shouldn't be just rotating guys through. There's just no excuse for it. And even those guys, frankly, I mean, is there a reason really to play them more than 28 minutes? Honestly, like, you really should just be cycling through these dudes. This team has nine players on their roster that they got within the last two drafts. <laughs> so you just really, how, how you can carve a role for these guys, I don't even honestly know where you begin as Steven Silas as being like, this is the offense we're going to install this is the defense we're going to install. And that perhaps that's why when I watched them last season, one of my big takeaways was I don't even know what scheme they're trying to run defensively. So I no. can't even say whether it's successful or not. Well, and this is where the business side of basketball conflicts with the basketball side of basketball, because the business side of basketball is going to dictate, listen, we need some asses and seats here. So Jalen Green and Jabari Smith are fucking playing. Those are yeah. the only two guys we can market to a fan base. Those guys are fucking playing. And then you'll have pressure from ownership too, where if you're losing a shitload of games and you're feeling pressure, th- you're going to be tempted the same way that uh, Tibbs takes criticism in New York and every stop he's had previously. Like There is a temptation to be like, no, I believe the best opportunity for us to win this game is to play Eric Gordon 28 minutes. And it's like, so there's going to just be decisions that are far beyond basketball because again, just because Houston is going to be shitty and at times brutal to watch, it doesn't change the fact that it's a business that is still going to want to try to turn a profit by the end of the season. <laughs> For sure. And, I mean, it's like that's squeezing blood out of a diamond, this Correct. one. I mean, this is not – this is this is going to be tricky. Um, before we get into their number here, Dan, I, I want to talk a little bit about this rebuild and some of the guys on the roster. Um they are a team right now with without a, an obvious franchise player. I think yes. Jalen Green is looking very much the part of a potential future all-star. Um, the question is just going to be, like, can a guy, can a small guard like that be a franchise player in this day and age? T- to be determined. Um, Jabari Smith, even the rosiest outlook on him the the biggest fans of his in the pre-draft didn't really speak about him in terms of being a franchise guy but again the story hasn't been written on those two um are those two guys to you definitively their two best prospects and then let's talk a little bit more about some of the other guys they have and if you even like any of them at all so yes i believe definitively those guys are cut above anybody else they have on the roster above garuba (laughs) unfortunately above garuba (laughs) above Shangun as painful it is as it is to say it no I think but here's what's interesting Rick about this and, and you you ask the question in an interesting way I can breeze past the first part yes Jalen Green and Jabari are better players like I totally project that they will be much better NBA players than most of the guys on this roster but here's where it gets interesting a team like this you mentioned the idea of just bringing in a shitload of dudes and you also brought up the idea of Orlando because last week we talked about them and they're they're doing something kind of similar The difference is Orlando, you and I both agreed, has at least done enough to where those guys are not complete zeros in terms of value across the league. Mm. The the risk in Houston, I truly believe this, 
is that if they're not careful, too many of these guys are going to have no value league-wide, which means you can't execute a consolidation trade at some point to clean this shit up. No, and that's why, honestly, Dan, that's why I brought up the the process Sixers, because those three guys that I said, and albeit Covington, in a fluke, they were able to add him to... That Jimmy Butler trade's never going to happen again. There's not going to be a trade like that ever again in the league. That is um, correct. If that trade was executed today, it would be that trade plus three picks. Um, yeah. The NBA would cancel that trade. But, <laughs> they would force picks into it. <laughs> but, but, but what I'm trying to say is it's going to be a big opportunity for other teams to just poach dudes off their roster because like, what, what type of consolidation trade is there when these guys aren't playing at all? You know what I mean? It's like Agreed. you have a bunch of Cam Reddishes on your team, that, a bunch of theoretical guys where you, you would still, if you were a team, be like, yeah, I'll give them a shot, but like, you're not going to give anything up for them. Nope, and nobody in the league will. That's my issue is if they're not careful, this is where the business side can actually step on their own feet. I, they look at every season individualistically. This is a year we need to try and turn a profit and put asses in seats. The funny thing is they kick, they're going to kick themselves later when it's like, oh, yeah, remember that year that we tried to, as you put it, squeeze blood out of a diamond? What if we just would have given Tari Eason 18 minutes a game instead of not playing him? Like maybe he's actually a thing and we can use him and KJ Martin, you know, whatever it is, to actually net like a real rotation player or be part of a bigger trade for something, you know, a little better for us. But again, like I really worry that some of these guys – and hopefully with Garuba healthy, hopefully he doesn't get buried. But some of these guys, dude, are just like you said, they're going to get buried. Many of them are going to get buried. I mean, we listed 14 dudes that need to play. And, like, Eric Gordon still didn't get traded. Um, and that's one where th- that's where, they're, in my opinion, their pride is getting in the way. Because I, I know they want to get a first-rounder for him. But his presence on the team is is subtracting from your ability to play other guys. And that's more valuable than whatever pick you can get for him, in my opinion. Um, I think, you know, based on the roster that they have, this is, this is incredibly, this is going to be incredibly difficult to piece together, even though, which is a funny thing to say, because they have so many guys. It's just that they have guys that by and large fall into two buckets and they're two buckets that don't necessarily complement each other, which is they have small guards and they have rugged multi-position forward kind of defenders. And the thing about those forward type of defenders, the type of players that you and I love, obviously, every team does, every team wants to acquire these guys, it's just when you have a team that has those small guards, you're not going anywhere unless you have basically Rudy Gobert standing behind you. Yeah. When you have a team with these type of rugged forwards, you want to have a team like the Raptors, you know, where it's like, yeah, we're playing four or five of them at the same time. Um, it's, it's hard to kind of see lineup configurations where they are continuing to roll with the Kevin Porter, Jalen Green backcourt, and then have no investment whatsoever in center. Um, because you know you can say sure Alperin Shingun, Alperin Shingun is six foot nine. You know what I mean? Like he's not, and he's far from a rim protector. So it's one of those things where yes, I understand you're not trying to literally win games this season. Well, you can't win games when you have guys this young. But what you can do is even if you're still losing, you can still play a style of basketball that will 
when these guys get repetition, get experience, or you just sub them out for better versions of themselves, you're playing a style of play that actually can win. Yeah, it's it's really it's really time for Steven Silas to actually implement a system and stick to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to mention two quick points. Number one, age 22 or younger, they have 10 dudes on the roster. 22 wow. or younger. Uh, the second interesting thing, and uh, past podcasts from the uh, offseason last year will, um, you know, hopefully never get listened to again when it comes to this guy. Uh, you want to talk about a an issue when it comes to managing personalities? Oh, yeah. Kevin Porter is on this team, which is tough enough to deal with. Sounds he like they is, want to extend him. He is in the final year of his contract. So he's in a contract year, and he's already been historically difficult to deal with. So, it, I mean, there is like a lot of combustible pieces to what could happen in Houston this year to where you can't possibly tell me that one of those doesn't blow up. You know what I mean? There's like three landmines. It's like maybe you dodge one or two. There's no way you walk through this field clear and don't touch one of them. (laughs) Yeah, the interesting thing, though, is like even with all of the guards that they've drafted in the last couple years, you still would probably put Kevin Porter second behind Jalen Green right now in terms of the development order, um, which I mean, probably by says... default. <laughs> sure. But, I mean, and, and the interesting thing is, like, you know, Josh Christopher has really shown out the last two summer leagues. <laughs> well, I don't know if you noticed that, but I remember last year during the summer league, there was this insane idea that they were floating where they are like, yeah, we want to make him our Drew Holiday. And you're like, what does that even mean? <laughs> Uh, and then this year he plays. He's playing a lot of primary with De- and Deshaun Nix actually looked really good in summer league too. Um, and you're just like I just anyway. So I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked you with Houston. Obviously, or excuse me, with Orlando. Obviously, with Orlando, we came to the conclusion the same one we we are with Houston, which is you want to see multiple looks. You want to see multiple combination of players. What's your first crack? The first day of practice, you're doing a scrimmage. What's your A team that you're putting out there? Um, you know, to be honest, I would probably go. And again, this is by default. Um, I hope to. I hope that this changes over the course of the season. I would go Kevin Porter, Jalen Green, probably Jay Sean Tate, Jabari Smith, and a healthy Garuba. And if he's not healthy, I would just go Shangun. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, yeah, I, th- I think I'm, th- I'm think I'm there with you. I think, I think, I was gonna say, I think this is hilarious for listeners. I was gonna say, I think you're on the right track saying Garuba. <laughs> no, but the reason why I think you're on the right track there is with the two small guards, you really need to be rugged up front. And yeah. Jabari, Jabari is gonna help you a lot defensively, but he's not dropping back. Um, no, you're, but you're he's probably. Giant. He's giant. They're probably going to have to play some type of switching scheme, which is also, again, it's like it's a bat. Like, you don't want your young guys learning how to play this. It's, it doesn't make sense. No, but it's bad. That's the it's personnel bad they have. <laughs> it is bad basketball with, with these young guys. Um, but I do think you need to have some type of combination of Garuba, Tate, Tari Eason, KJ Martin, because those guys at least are profile to be defense first kind of role players like they profile on frankly to be like the type of guy you'd play next to Luca um and 
I think you really need to see that development through, especially if you're going to be hanging your hat on Jalen Green as your franchise player because he just doesn't really project at this point to ever be anything defensively. No. And so I think you're going to need to, sur- if you want to ever get serious about winning, you're going to need to surround him with some physical guys. I don't disagree. And I think, <clears throat> let's roll this into the number. Um, it's a hard number, man. This is a it, stay away from me. Oh, I, I would hammer this line. It's 23 and a half. Man. Um, I've got under at 20. Um, and the reason is, on. I mean, honest to God, it's... I guess they won 20 last year, huh? Well, and I'm sounding super competitive or repetitive at this point, but the reality is, man, like the league's really good. Who is Houston beating? They're going to yeah. win some basketball games because every team does. But I mean, honest to God, like who is this team going to be beating? Um, the West is just so loaded that I just, I mean, again, I would just hammer the under. I think for them to hit 24 plus wins is actually weirdly like a successful season. That means they figured <laughs> something out. Like, you know. Oh, boy. To me, this is a stay away, but it's I'm like right around that number, 24, 25 for me. Uh, a successful season, in your words. Um, yeah. uh, you know, I just, and we'll get to it when we get to S here in San Antonio. It's just they do have so many players that, like, whether it's Steven Silas or somebody else, somebody has to be able to find a combination of players to be able to win some games. And, and the thing about betting a 23-win line is – you know, what you're saying there, Dan, and and you believe it clearly, is there's more paths for them to be under than over. And yes. I, I think that's probably true, but it's, you know, you're really getting to a range then where you go, okay, not many teams in the history of the league have won 19 games, 18, 17, 16. You know what I mean? So you get into some really rough territory when you when you dip below 20. And so that's where I just get a little hesitant because I'm like, you know, there's just very few teams that end up losing that many games and uh, it takes a special type of team, which perhaps this is them. <laughs> yeah. And to be fair, I mean, the, the reason that it's easy for me to get there is Jalen Green, I'm, I'm less high on than most. Um, I think, like you mentioned, he could be a potential all-star at some point. He's still super, super young, super raw, super raw, coupled with the fact that they're going to be playing a ton of guys that may or may not even be NBA players. Like they're gonna, at, there's gonna be plenty of points in the game where they're giving tr- like trial runs to guys that we don't know. Like maybe Ty Ty isn't an NBA player. Maybe Tari Eason isn't an NBA player. Like there's a lot of like maybe Jock Landell is gonna get some burn, and maybe he's not an NBA player. You know, like and Do as they much have as Jock Landell, <laughs> yeah. And as much as you and I like Usman Garuba, like oh yeah, maybe sure. he's not an NBA player. So like there's just gonna yeah. be a, t- a ton of guys that play where it's like. Those guys alone, you don't know even if they're NBA players. And there's a bunch of other guys where it's like, I mean, are those guys getting anything more than like damn near league minimum with whoever they sign with next? Like, I don't know. Is Garrison well, yeah, Matthews going to have a market? Like, is David Nawaba going to be on a roster? Like, it's just like, I don't know. There's just so many guys that I think are just so far below what it, what a league average player is now that I just don't, I don't see a path to wins. I just can't see it. Yeah, I feel you. Um Man, we spent a lot of time on those two teams, but it's good yeah. conversation so far. Let's move on to Memphis. the Grizz. Yep, yeah. the Grizz. They won. They won the division. Obviously, last year they're the big time surprise of the league, number two seed. Um, as far as their off season goes, it was pretty quiet. They traded DeAnthony Milton uh, and ended up. I mean, pretty neutral. They got a first round pick. It's it's. 
too early to say whether you know they're going to get any burn from. I think they took Laravia with that pick, um, and they also got Danny Green, who the word is they do plan on eventually playing him if and when he recovers from his injury. But as of right now, we're looking at that as a minus one for sure as far as their rotation guys go. Uh, they lost Kyle Anderson in free agency to the Timberwolves, and that's about it. They re-signed Tyus Jones to a nice deal for him, about $15 million a year over two. Uh, Jaron Jackson suffered an injury. There, we don't really have a good timetable on that. It's and long. so it, it's going to be long. long. So here's what yeah. I'm looking at here. And this is, to me, why I'm going to just go ahead here and spoil whether it's over and under. It's, a, it's an under for me. To me, I'm looking at this team as it's a real simple equation. Is the improvement and continuity of their existing guys on the team going to be greater than the loss they sustain from realistically starting the season down three rotation players? Yeah, the number was 48 and a half. What would you, what'd you have the total at for them? I mean, I think that's like around the range. It's just that um, I think that maybe they punched a little bit above their weight last year yes. anyway. And to lose three rotation guys, you just look at their team, man. Once you get past about seven, we're talking about some serious leaps of faith here on these guys. And I'm, I am very high on their ancillary players and their ability to improve. I think Desmond Bain is going to take another big step forward. I Like we said on a previous pod, we loved what we saw from Zaire Williams. They're going to really need him to contribute this year. We saw firsthand Brandon Clark just kick the shit out of the Timberwolves. So there's a lot to like. Um, it's just that they don't have the depth that they had last year, and that was a huge part of their success. Yeah, you know, to me, it's, you know, my concern when I was thinking about this team was not so much the depth. I had them under at 48, so hugged right up to that number. Another stay away. I would not bet this line. Um, that's an eight-win difference from yeah, last year's 56-win team. That's a big, big drop. But yep. the reason I have it that way is, A, I think it was 56 wins, which was out out kicking their coverage by quite a bit. Um, I think that was probably in a normal season a 51-52 win team, not 56 um, but credit to them. Well, yeah, put advantage. it this way, Dan. I mean, obviously, like, how many teams are we going to predict to win 56 this year? And we're we're feeling stronger about them than we would have about that Memphis team. Yes, absolutely. Um, so it wasn't a depth concern as much as it was to um, – the, the Triple J injury to me is, is massive. Mm-hmm. Um, because if he misses two months of the season, which I think is way short, but if he misses two months, they'll be fine. If he misses four, five months of this season, the drop off from what Triple J does down to, you know, Brandon Clark and Zaire Williams, hypothetically, if he was going to get any minutes at the four, is stark. Yep. Coupled with the fact that I think, honestly, without Triple J and without Slow Mo, who I think the Timberwolves are going to, Timberwolves fans for sure, are going to see how valuable, and you and I have always known this every stop, every stop he's had. In Memphis, we, you and I would always talk about it. Like, his ability to do so many things and always doing it in really timely spots in a game. It's just one of those veteran presences that we always hated when we were playing that team, because it's like, Oh, so this guy's going to hit the floater in the lane. This guy's going to be the one going off the dribble and attacking a closeout. This guy's getting the big rebound. This guy's getting the big steal. Like he just is around, around key plays in a lot of games. Um, so there's just, 
those three rotation players they miss, I think it's a bigger, it's a much bigger hit than it seems when you look at their team on paper and go, no, it's still Ja, Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, Brandon Clark, Steven Adams. I, it's like, no, there's a lot of guys, a lot of guys. I like the guys. What they're missing is not nothing. And I do think it's going to have a massive impact. It is going to have a massive impact because all of those guys played kind of outsized roles and excelled in such a big way. Like Jaron's ability to, and he didn't shoot well last year, but team still defended him, his ability to space. And I saw this firsthand. I mean, obviously I went to a bunch of the playoff games with the Wolves, but I also got a chance to see them really close to um, eye level. And I remember I texted you during the game, like, First of all, Jaron is enormous in person, yeah. like monstrous. He basically looks like Anthony Davis. But he also spaces like six feet behind the three-point line. And and that's one of the reasons why Ja has so much space to operate when they also have Steven Adams on the floor, is they have this other big on the floor that's spacing really deep. So they're missing him on that regard, and then his ability to clean up mistakes on the back line defensively, even though he cannot stop fouling, is crucially important. And then Melton and Kyle Anderson were cogs in what was probably the best bench unit in the NBA last season, and we're swapping them out with not really sure. Um, Definitely more Zaire Williams you're going to see. Are we going to see David Roddy? Are we going to see Jake LaRavia? to be determined. I think John Conchar is going to grow into a bigger role this year, and I think that's good for them. Um, I, I just don't I'll, – I'll be very curious to see where Taylor Jenkins goes with that starting four spot. To me, I feel like this is a really big opportunity for Brandon Clark to plant his flag as another member of their core going forward. Yes. Um, because, and you and I are both super big fans. Oh, I mean, how could you not after <laughs> after the series that he had against our team last year in the playoffs? I mean, I mean, he just I mean, he beat the team. Um, but but I I don't think it's a given that he's going to start there. I think clearly he's the best player at that position, but that might not be the best thing for the floor balance for them. I wouldn't be surprised if they opted for Zaire Williams, or I wouldn't either. Yeah, or honestly, if they opted for John Conchar, even though it's not the right size, the right position per se, but just sliding everybody down a little bit. Yeah, throwing Dylan just, Brooks at the four. Just to have some more floor balance, because Brandon Clark, as much as I love him, is a non-shooter. Uh, Steven Adams is obviously a non-shooter. John Morant is a non-shooter, until proven otherwise. Dylan Brooks shoots, but isn't a shooter. So it's a, it's a lot on Desmond Bain's plate. And to his credit, he was the person that scared us the most in that yes. Timberwolves series, which probably also speaks to Jaw's greatness because they had to sell out so much to stop Jaw that everybody else was just kind of got all they could eat. Um, but anyway, that's a long-winded way of saying Brandon Clark better be ready for this season because this this is his career right here. This season is his chance to get paid, whether it's with Memphis or another team, because that spot is wide open. And if it, I'm sure this is what the front office is rooting for. The best case scenario for their franchise long term is he plays so well in Jaron's absence that when Jaron comes back, it's Stephen Adams that goes to the bench, and we have now we have our front court of the fu- present and future. 
Yeah, this is uh, the last point I want to make on the Grizzlies before we get off them. And I thought you you brought up the uh, the potential flaw in the Brandon Clark Stephen Adams front court. That is not modern basketball. No, and it is possible that that combination gets played off the court in the first twelve games of the year. They may play that you know that lineup configuration serious minutes to lead the season and then find out they just can't we just can't go there we can't on offense be short that many shooters and we also can't guard teams with a lot of shooters if those two are in the game simultaneously and I mean this is where you really feel that Jaron Jackson's absence because they had the luxury last season and we saw this in the Timberwolves playoff series they had the luxury to if the matchup didn't dictate it they could take Steven Adams out What's going to happen if that if that lineup gets played off the court is Stephen Adams still has to be on the floor because you cannot. It's not as if you can realistically win in the NBA if you are starting, say, Brandon Clark at center and Zaire Williams at the four. You know, it's just like it's completely untenable. So it's like Stephen Adams is crucially important to the success of their team this season. Yep. Um, so let's move off Memphis and move to New Orleans. Probably the most fascinating team in the division to talk about just because there's so much unknown going into the season. Um, their line is at 44 and a half, which is suspicious. Um, <laughs> the reason I say it's suspicious is I don't see a path for right around that win total, even though that's where I set it. I like hedged on it and I did 44, so a slight under. But I actually in my head believe it to be either 40 or like 50. Yeah, like, I feel like they should blow they should. I'm not saying they will. They should blow past this number. Should if these absolutely. Guys, if, if some of these guys on their team are who we think they are, they they need to blow by this number because this team is has way too much talent to win 44 games. And well, yeah, the the starting lineup potentially could be CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, Herb Jones, Zion Williamson and Jonas Valančiūnas. Like you, there's no excuse for not blowing past 44 and a half with that group. The I mean, question that's a, is, that's do you an have insane that lineup. That's an insane lineup. The question is, like it is every year, this team more than most, is that the group you're going to have? Yep. Are you going to have them for most of the year? And if you do, and, and again, this is a team that it, it's really funny because you say that and you go, man, that's ridiculous. And then you look at their, you know, their depth and it's like, well, you know, I like Jose Alvarado. No, like they got depth, Nance. dude. No, no, no. This team, the team has a lot of guys. How, okay, let's start there then. How many of these guys do you actually like? Like that um, you believe okay, are so good that rotation five, players? That five, first of all, the five I like a lot, right? Undoubtedly. I really like Alvarado. Trey Murphy I like a lot. Nance. Yeah. So now we're up to eight guys total. I think Jackson Hayes found his role last year. That's nine. I, and I think that's a solid nine right there. Okay. And then I fe- I would feel good honestly about the um, the kind of uh, back of bench uh, minor league farm team we have with Dyson Daniels. Who knows what we're going to get from Kyra Lewis this year coming back from injury? But having those two guys kind of on the back burner, I liked. And if, unfortunately, EJ Liddell. Um, Torres ACL during summer league. I would have loved to have him there too. But like, I mean, we're talking about a team that has guys in all sorts of age groups and different places on the development curve. We're like, I mean, Dan, I don't know. I like that. I like that's nine guys. There's that. We also not included in that nine is like we said, 
Kyra Lewis was a lottery pick. We don't know what we're going to get from him. Dyson Daniels was a top 10 pick this season. Don't know if, obviously it's a rookie, so you don't know if he's going to play. Although they did get a lot of contribution last year from their rookies. Um, which obviously that's unrelated. But uh, Devontae Graham is not in there. Who got played out of the rotation in the playoffs, deservedly so. Saw all of his minutes go to Alvarado. Um, so I'm, I, I say all of that, and, and they have Garrett Temple still too. I say all of that to say that there's a lot of guys, they really just need one of those guys, and they all are coming at it from different places, but you have to feel like at least one of those guys, the stars will align for this season. Well, here's the, here's the ace up their sleeve. You mentioned the, the development curve of, of their various guys. Having CJ, Brandon Ingram, and Jonas Valanciunas on this team is fucking massive because this yep. is a team that in every way, you know, Zion is obviously the, the premier player if he's healthy, but those other three guys are veteran players that are yes. established, that have been successful. That and is, I think Brandon Ingram still actually has a little bit to grow here. And I, I think agree. is, is ready, ready for a star turn. Yeah, so I think, you know, my heart tells me that they're going to they're gonna hammer this and go way over. And if they go over again, I don't see this being a team that lands at like 45 wins. If they go over, I actually believe they will be a 50-win team um, because I do believe their high-end, top-end talent is so strong and they're so versatile and they have guys that can actually play some fucking defense, which is really helpful. Yep. Um, it's, it, there this is, is a very different team, Dan, than the last one Zion played on. It's completely remade, completely remade. Um, I will say this too. I, I don't want to shit on any of their young players. Um, I believe that all of those guys still have a shot. I am less high on Trey Murphy than you are. Um, yeah. Just in terms of this upcoming season, like I don't know how much you're going to get from Trey Murphy. Um, Dyson Daniels, I would love nothing more than him to be a, an impact rookie. Um, you know, Kyra Lewis, I, I just would bet on not much um, yeah. just because of the injury and he wasn't, you know, um, doing a ton for them when he did play. And the big, I mean, we talked about him on a previous pod. Here's what I'll say. Jackson A's either found his role and he kind of replicates and maybe even grows out a little bit of the role that he had last year, which would be phenomenal uh, for him and for the team. Or Jackson Hayes, that was an aberration because Zion wasn't there. And the role that he played, the minutes he was given, that was why he was able to have the success that he was. Can he do it with a much smaller role with a much different supporting cast around him? It's a great question. And I mean, I think if you could get to him, Alvarado is, this is just in his blood, but you could, if you could get Jackson Hayes to play like that between him and Herb Jones, you have 48 minutes a game of dogged, long defense on like somewhere between big and the perimeter, you know, guys that can play all over the court. So that's that's another reason to be high on them, and then they the to me I I I, I mean I understand why he's not a storyline because it's just it's it's been a will he won't he thing his whole career. But Zion Williamson is the biggest wild card that I can remember in the NBA in a really long time because it's not even a question of. Of what he can do on the court. <laughs> Not at all. It's just, is he going to be on the court? And you think about, uh, the only guy that's remotely similar to him in terms of how his career began is Joel Embiid. And Joel Embiid's impact was immediate once he was able to be healthy. And his team wasn't 
wasn't built like this New Orleans team is. And so if Zion... I'll just say this. Whenever Zion is playing, they're going to have a great chance of winning any game. You yes. know, because, like, if... I mean, it, let's say... It, this will never happen, but let's say Zion... This is like an NBA 2K injuries off. If If you're telling me this is a healthy team including Zion playing the majority of games this season, you're going over 50 for sure. I agree with you. And that's why this line was fishy to me. Um, it was set appropriately because obviously they want to get action on both sides of the line, um, especially on a team that's predicated on the, the health of a player that's been injured a lot. So Vegas did a nice job. I will say this too. This is a team that unlike some of the teams we've talked about thus far, um, and I'm, I'm specifically talking about Houston and, and teams like Orlando, this is a team that they were dead in the water last year, completely yes. dead. And Willie Green, a first-time head coach, was able to rally the troops. Was yeah, he's no get... Steven Silas. <laughs> no, he was able to completely build an identity around guys that probably didn't believe they were going to be playing a lot this year. Jackson Hayes, Ho- Jose Alvarado, Herb Jones. Yep. And he built an identity that led them not only out of the basement that they were in, led them into the playoffs and into a very competitive series against a team that they just were way overmatched against. I mean, and it was, you can't overstate how dark it was at its oh, lowest. Willie Green um, was like a candidate to be fired in season if that didn't absolutely. start. Absolutely. I mean, they and were, we're losing talking about, every game. We thought, I mean, I had tickets to the first game. <laughs> it was like one of the first Timberwolves games of the year against New Orleans because I thought I was going to get to see Zion because we thought Zion was going to play. Because David Griffin said that <laughs> said he'd he was going to play for the season. Yeah, he phrased it in this way that then when he didn't, you could look at it and be like, "Yeah, I guess technically there's some wiggle room there." But like, come on, man. So anyway, like you're talking about at that time is is can you trust the front office too? Like this is coming off of the heels of the JJ Redick debacle the year before. They're lying about Zion's timeline. They have this fishy thing with Lonzo Ball where he just, like, gets traded for a piece of gum and a pair of shoes. The team Stan Van Gundy. Stan Van <laughs> Gundy. So it's like now we have our third coach with Zion in his third season, three coaches in three years. They, they're, I don't know what their record was exactly, but it was something to the effect of, like, 1 in 10 or something like that. So, I mean, it, it was dark. Like, it was a very low place. And... I, I we're not alone in this. We're not unique in this, but we fell in love with Willie Green last year in a major way. And we saw the impact of this with the Timberwolves. When you're a down and out franchise and you're used to cycling through dog shit coaches, and maybe even if they're not dog shit coaches, they, they, it's not their dream to be coaching your team. Yes. Um, and you're not getting their best foot forward. The difference when you finally have somebody grab the wheel and is stable, it, it's, it's a night and day difference. And I think New Orleans is the candidate to be the Timberwolves of this season, where they, they're just steady. And you don't know that from the outside, but close by, it's like they had continuity, man, going into the season. They have a coach they believe in. They're building on something. They didn't make big additions or subtractions. They're just building on what they did last year and adding a guy that, if he's playing is one of the elite players in the NBA. 
I mean, I feel really good about it. I feel, and honestly, like, I feel like their number, I would maybe even consider their number if it was just their team coached by Willie Green with no Zion. You know what I mean? But it's just like Zion to me is like, he's the cherry on the Sunday where I feel really good about the situation as is. And you tell me we can add this one of one freak of nature to the mix, albeit every so often, sign me up. Yeah, so I'm assuming 44.5 you went over. I did go over. Let, let me see what my exact number was. But even as we've talked about it, I'm probably am going to have to figure out a way to give them some more wins. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have them at 46. But um, yeah, I feel really good about this team. And um, that to me, that's it. When we look at that kind of play-in range of teams, New Orleans, the Blazers, the Lakers, the Kings, um, I think that is like people would say that that's about a tier right there, the bottom end of the playoff. One of those teams is not like the others, and it's the Correct. Pelicans. Correct. Um, so let's move to our, our final team in the division, uh, the San Antonio Spurs. Um, so we go from talking about a team that we think is is trending up, uh, is potentially about to bring back for a healthy season, a superstar, to a team that uh, probably – I mean, yeah, not probably. They have uh, the least high-end talent in the NBA. Um, no question. By a pretty wide margin. Uh, this is a team that, you know, obviously they, they're over-under is set the same that Houston's was at 23 and a half. Um, I'll spoil it. I hammered the under. It's they gotta have, be. They have no motivation to win games, um, which no. is fine. Um, they also don't have clear paths to even finding creative ways to win games. Nope. Um, <laughs> no, they you, don't. You can squint at Houston and go, well, what if Jabari pops? What if Jalen Green takes a leap? This team, it's like, well, I, I don't know who's scoring for this team. So I'm not sure how they're going to win any basketball games. Um, they hypothetically, and again, there there could be some changes here, but this looks, looks to be the starting five. Trey Jones, Devin Vassell, Doug McDermott, Keldon Johnson, Jakob Pertl. Um, Jakob Pertl, obviously, you and I both like quite a bit. Uh, Keldon Johnson. He's their best player. <laughs> yeah, their best overall player for sure. Then you have Keldon Johnson, who's arguably their best scorer. Yeah, we'll not arguably. Sure. He is their best scorer as 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 currently constructed for sure. Um, yeah, I would imagine that it's their hope that somebody on the roster will will take that crown. I think they have a lot of Josh Richardson. Josh Primo stock. <laughs> Um, even though they then proceeded to draft a bunch of more small guards. So they're kind of a little... What direction is San Antonio from Houston? Is it West? They're Houston West. Um, like It's very similar to them from the standpoint of they have all these small guards. Um, it's, it's tough, man. Let me ask you this. There's a little bit of trivia here. Who is the Spurs' highest paid player uh, currently on the roster? Do you know? Ooh, that's a good question. There's two guys. I think they have two total guys that make over ten million in a league where I think you could make fifty million for the max. It's got to be Doug McDermott, right? Doug McDermott is their highest paid player at thirteen. This is actually kind of a fun parlor game, Dan. Uh, you may not remember who the other guy is on their team uh, that makes this much, but I'll, I'll give you a chance anyway. They have a, they have a guy on their team also that makes eleven million. Well, I, I believe I'm staring at his name because I joked about him a second ago. Is it Josh Richardson's acquired contract? 
Yes, it is. Yeah, I think I was looking at his name. I was like, my God, he's one of the only veteran players on this entire roster. Yes, yeah. and then the next highest paid player is Jakob Pertl making nine million. So I mean, boy, oh boy, it's uh, and it's not you know honestly yes of course that means you have a lot of guys on rookie deals but you also just have a lot of guys that make less than nine million on your team. Yeah, it's you know, and it's funny that you do this exercise too because you know this is this is going to be our first opportunity to watch San Antonio in this Tank. this recent rebuild. Um, and we just gave Houston hell and, you know, we've talked about Orlando for years now. This is the first opportunity we've talked about OKC for years. This is the first time we're going to be seeing what San Antonio's vision for a future looks like when you completely bottom out. Yeah. But Dan, I think this is year zero though. I don't think this is even year one, especially considering like, is this Popovich's last season? I mean, certainly he's not the long-term coach of the team. So like, we don't really know who their coach is and, this was the year they just, you know, this is like, this is their year zero. They don't have yet. I think they're hoping next season, you know, they're rolling into the year with Scoot Henderson or Victor Wembanyama as well to this group. Like they don't even have a guy on their team where they're like, you know, at least Houston, you go, yeah, well, I mean, we're building around Jalen Green. Now that might be fraught and not a smart thing to do, but like Houston or San Antonio does not have that. No, they don't. And, and I would, I would argue this too. A bunch of guys are going to play a ton of minutes for this team. Um, it's kind of like what I mentioned in Houston, like guys that we don't know if they're NBA players or not. They're going to be playing on an NBA roster. We're just not entirely sure if they're actual NBA players. And, you know, these are guys that honestly would have been better developmentally, in my opinion, to be playing on a team where they could carve out a role over time and develop. The fact that Devin Vassell and Trey Jones are just going to be thrown in probably as starters or guys that get Devin really Vassell's heavy minutes. Devin start, for sure. Well, yeah, there's no question. And so it's like, but for Devin Vassell, a guy that I, I really stand for during that draft, watching him in the league thus far, I still believe in Devin Vassell as a player, but Devin for Vassell sure. has proven that he's not the guy that's going to take some massive leap no, year to year. No, no, no. So, I mean, again, to put No, you're him, hoping he could be Josh Richardson. <laughs> correct, exactly. So it's like to put him and pencil him in for such a big role on this team, like I actually worry, and maybe they maybe they knew this when they did it. Maybe they realized, you know what, man, we've had these guys in the building and we just don't think there's a ton of upside with them. So if we throw them to the dogs one year, we're not really losing much because we didn't think that they had a real possibility to pop anyway. You know, that could be a possible way of thinking about it. But I mean, they, they retreaded Romeo Langford, so you got to imagine he's going to get some burn. Isaiah Roby's still there. You Jeremy forget Sochin. that he's... Man, these guys, these rookies make a lot of money now, man. I mean, I'm looking at Romeo Lamford at $5.6 million just off the last year of his rookie deal from being, the, like, the 14th pick. That's healthy. That's, that's healthy. healthy. I mean, that's why you're seeing guys now not get, not even get that year. I'm, I'm actually genuinely surprised he got it um, because, you, you know, it's really hard to say why he would get it and like Jarrett Culver didn't like Jarrett Culver didn't as a financial decision, you know? Um, but I suppose it's because they are 30 million under the cap. So what's the difference? What is the difference? That's exactly right. Um, so I, you know, honestly, man, I don't have a ton. I want to say about this team. I'm curious to watch Jeremy Sochin play. Um, I'm curious to see, obviously the guys that mentioned Devin Vassell and Trey Jones have a much, much bigger role than they historically have had. Um, Primo for sure. I think Primo, I, I actually think Primo is going to start, personally. Um, yeah, it's possible. It's possible. He doesn't strike me. You know, well, 
who the fuck cares? I was about to say say a basketball point, and it doesn't matter with this roster. <laughs> I was about to say, like, <laughs> Trey Jones is a more steady presence in the backcourt. It's like, what does it fucking matter? Steady for Well, who? Primo, well, I've said this on a pod before, but Primo does take the crown as being the youngest-looking player to ever go in the NBA. Yeah, it looks like he was taken off a JV team and thrown onto the court. I mean, yeah, he looks he's, like he's 11 years old, and they're like, he's he's big, he's six foot four, and you're just like, come on, man. What? Yes. Let's get oh, serious. The good thing, though, is this team, I believe, plays the Timberwolves three times in the first <laughs> six games of the season. It's absurd. Um, they are going to so, get their asses kicked. I mean, yes. the idea that we're going to roll out the Twin Tower lineup with Gobert and Towns, and this is the unit that's going to be tasked with defending it. It's just, it's So cruel. actually, I'm glad you brought that up because there's a lot of, uh, all these teams have size now, and if it's not like playing like literal traditional bigs, it's just having bulky dudes. This is what I meant when I was talking about Memphis, when I was saying if, if, if one of Steven Adams or Brandon Clark gets played off the floor, it's going to be Brandon Clark because yeah, a team like Minnesota rolls in and you want to have your cute small ball lineup with your 6'8 center and like a 6'7 power forward, like how? Yeah, you're going to get absolutely killed. Or you you're... play New Orleans and it's Jonas Valanciunas is like one of the more physical offensive centers in the league and the other guy is Zion. Yeah, no, man, this team, so I have them at 19 wins. I have them entering that, that dangerous territory that you referenced earlier, the teams that go, go winning in the teens. But Yeah, I think, I think this is, as we stand today, I expect Utah to have the worst record because I expect once it's all said and done that they'll be even more down to the studs than San Antonio is. But as we, as we stand here today, San Antonio is the worst team in the NBA, and it's to me, it's not particularly close because the teams they're in competition with Detroit, Orlando, Oklahoma City, Houston, those teams are one to two seasons ahead of them in the rebuild already. They all of those teams believe they have their franchise player, and most of those teams even believe they have their sidekick already. In San Antonio, they need to lose an entire season to even give themselves a chance to get the guy that they think is their number one guy. So they're they're them in Utah are are the new kids on the block for this tanking game because I th- you know some of these teams are going to graduate out here pretty quick and then which necessitates new teams come in but San Antonio and Utah welcome welcome to the like Pop Smoke said man welcome to the party you know, like, <laughs> it's, it's 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 a new new season yeah no it's it's going to be bad in San Antonio what did you have them at um I had them at twenty two. So I might get to a place with them to where I mean yeah, twenty three and on, a half man. is ridiculous. Like they're not shave, shave some wins, would you? I'm gonna have to shave some wins once we get to some of these teams I like a little bit more. Um, but it's an easy, 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 easy under for me. I mean, it's I think some people are getting confused by the laundry a little bit and seeing that San Antonio name and seeing that Greg Popovich is the coach and convincing themselves of things that are just not there with that group. I mean, that that group is going to have a very tough time scoring the ball. And then defensively, they've been bad. They've been real bad for a number of years in a row. They have even worse defensive personnel now. I mean, the only guy at this point that's like a real plus defender, unless Josh Richardson plays a lot, is... Jakob Pertl, who's a wonderful defender, but you surround him with a bunch of young guys that 
even though you, the, that's the funny thing about them, Dan, is you look at a lot of their young guys and you go, well, their future is being like that Dorian Finney-Smith type guy we were talking about with Houston. It's just yeah. that they're also still 21, so they also suck at defense. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, no, it's a tough team, man. No, it's going to be a layup line on one end, and they're going to, I mean, it, we'll see it firsthand because we're going to be watching every Tim Rolls game. I, honest to God, do not know how these te- this team, and they will just because of the way the game is played and transition points and shit like that, but I don't know how they score more than, like, 80 points. Like, it is it is going to be tough. Really, really tough. Um, all right, let's wrap up. We just did about an hour 15 on the Southwest here. We are not going to give any spoilers to listeners, but we will be back this weekend. We're going to do another division. Uh, we obviously did not stick with conference. We bounced from east to west in the first two, so we'll see what we're feeling like and put another one out this weekend. Yeah, man, that was a blast. Um, Thanks, everybody, for listening. And, uh, yeah, we look forward to continuing to do these call-ins and hopefully hopefully continue to build build our listener base. Absolutely. Enjoy the rest of the week. We'll talk soon. All right, take care.